Alicia Thompson's love in the time of serial killers is not set in a Colombian river town, and it is not about Florentino and Fermina. Google them if you're interested. No, Thompson's 2022 novel is about Phoebe and Sam, two kids that you just know would be so cute together if not for, well, Phoebe. She's a pretty inscrutable character from the outside. She's really socially clumsy, she's obsessed with true crime, and she's in Florida to settle the estate of her late father, whom she was borderline estranged from. That's where she meets Sam, a music teacher who seems pretty chill by comparison, and definitely develops a crush on her. Will Phoebe's paranoia about serial killers prevent her from a happily ever after with Sam? Well, you'll have to read Love in the Time of Serial Killers to find out. I heard Alicia Thompson read just part of chapter one at a literary event, and I knew I had to read the rest of it. The author herself, Alicia Thompson, joins us today to talk about her writing process, the romance genre more generally, and whether getting too deep into true crime is good for your mental health. I'm Christopher Nank, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Alicia Thompson, author of the novel Love in the Time of Serial Killers, an MFA graduate of the University of South Florida, and uh, she just got a shout out from Cosmo recently. Maybe she'll tell us about that a little later. Um, but anyway, uh, so welcome to the Florida Book Club. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, the title, Love in the Time of Serial Killers, I just, you know, I, I, it naturally, I seems to suggest, were you deliberately trying to uh, evoke Gabriel Garcia Marquez? I mean, that's that's definitely the you know the inspiration of the I guess the phrasing of the title, but I, I don't necessarily think that my book has you know much in common with that book. Like, I wouldn't want people to think I I thought it was a retelling or something. It's obviously very different. I gotcha. It, it was just you know I, that that's something I was thinking the whole time. I was yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely was using the the love and the time of kind of construction for sure. Gotcha. Um, and anyway, I, as I, we were I, we were saying off camera, I was just hooked on this novel immediately from I, I heard you read at the Corner Club in Tampa uh, in September of 2022. And um, I just like it, it seems like your narrator, Phoebe, I, it just it is such a just a, such a compelling and interesting voice. I thought you told that. And she's a grad student in North Carolina. She returns to Florida to settle her father's affairs after he passes away with the help of her brother. And she's writing this dissertation on the true crime genre. She's looking at, you know, books like Helter Skelter and In Cold Blood. And but she has all these quirks and her pop cultural interests. And she has, I think, this rule about not having caffeine after a certain time of the day. And I mean, <laughs> just all these various things that I, I really thought made her, you know, this really interesting character. And I wondered how much of Phoebe, like her narrative style, her interests, proclivities are are reflective of your own interests, both academic and, and pop cultural, because I don't know, it, it's I don't know if other people share this, but it's like this tendency to see first person narrators as some, you know, reflection of the author. But um, but I guess more generally, how did the idea for this character come about? Yeah, I mean, Phoebe definitely has a lot in common with me. Um, I always say that she's almost like me, maybe 15 years ago or something uh just just because like for one thing i actually don't engage with true crime as much as i used to i still like it i still read it i you know watch the shows and i listen to podcasts and stuff but um i don't know since having kids i actually don't engage with it as much as i used to but like when i was in high school and in college I was watching a lot of it and just, you know, every book I could get my hands on. And so a lot of her like very paranoid, very like where she's just plugged into that genre and she kind of, you know, can't think about the world, you know, outside of that lens. That's definitely, I think, like something that I relate to from like a past version of myself. 
So I would say that she's very similar to me in a lot of ways, but in other ways, sometimes even as I was writing her, I was like, oh, I, like I've moved past this. Like, I don't think like this anymore. <laughs> no, I, you know, you, you made me think of something there though, but the true crime genre in general, and I completely get what you're saying. It's funny. Uh, my wife and I have leaned into episodes of forensic files since we had a kid oddly, but um, it's mm. uh but I mean, what is your sense now, even if you're not as engaged with it, the current state of it and how much, you know, you think that it seems like it's having a moment genre wise, you know, or it has been for the last five or 10 years in terms of like public interest. And do you think that just based on how Phoebe is portrayed or how you portrayed her here, I wondered if that was like intended to be sort of a cautionary tale of sorts, like maybe this is not a healthy genre to dive too closely. Like, I mean, it seems like you had no plans to ever write a doctoral dissertation on true crime, but you know, it was something like you said, you were fairly into it. It may have, you know, colored your view of the world in some ways for a time. Yeah. I mean, actually, while I was writing this book, I, I kind of was like, should I go get my PhD and go write a <laughs> doctoral dissertation? Like all of a sudden I started thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like true crime as a genre and much like Phoebe with her, you know, her focus of study, I do believe it tells us a lot about our culture and our society and like what we're thinking of, you know, what are we scared of? What do we fear right now? Um, you know, there's, there's tons of great podcasts about this. Like you're wrong about is one of my favorite podcasts mm -hmm. of all time. And they do a lot of episodes about this, about, for example, like how we had all this like stranger danger at a yes. certain time. Mm -hmm. And we had all this, you know, like the guy in the white van that everybody is scared of. And then we have like the satanic panic and all of a sudden it's like, you know, daycare workers are somehow going to sacrifice your child or something. And I mean, it sounds so just incredible when you hear it. But I think that those are very much reflections of like what our culture is thinking about and what we're scared of at the time. I mean, like just even on a personal level, I always had all these like nightmares of like home invasions and stuff. I mean, since I was a kid, I was just always scared of like a home invasion and I can't even watch movies like funny games and stuff. Cause it honestly, it's like too triggering for me. Uh, and then COVID hit and I'll be honest, I have not had a single nightmare about uh, home invasions. And I think it's just because like my fears have shifted, you know, like I'm not as scared of that as I used to be because I have other things to be scared of. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a long winded way of, of talking about it. But I do think that true crime is not always great for your mental health, because I do think that sometimes it makes you just very paranoid and very much like looking for the bad in everything. And yes, it's good to be vigilant and it's good to, you know, think about your own safety. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think sometimes you can get too immersed in those things. Uh, I spent one summer, for example, where all I did was watch the show disappeared. And that show is horrible for my mental health because it doesn't even end. Like, the episodes will just have at the end, it'll be like, well, and they were never found. If you have any information, please call this number. Oh God. So it's like unsolved mysteries, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one theory I have about forensic files as an example, since you mentioned that is that forensic files, it's very neat. It's like a half an hour episode. And, and they know who up. did it at the end. They know everything. who did it. Yeah. <laughs> and you feel like it's weird, but like you feel comforted. You're like, okay, like justice was done. The person was caught. Everything is good. Um, whereas like some shows like disappeared, man, that, that show would just absolutely fuck me up because I would think about it and, you know, I'd Google obsessively, like trying to figure out what happened to these people. And, um, I mean, it's interesting, but at some point I don't know that it's always great for your mental health. 
No, as someone who uh, lived through and grew up during the satanic panic and the stranger danger and watched, you know, the old Unsolved Mysteries show with Robert Stack, believe me, I can <laughs> tell you, I sympathize on many levels with your uh, anxieties that exposure to that sort of media can cause. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, and related to that, I was I was curious whether you were ever tempted to make this an actual crime story or thriller, you know, to lean more into thriller territory to make you know, maybe some of the misgivings that Phoebe has about her neighbor, Sam, you know, maybe suggest, well, is there something to it? I wondered how much that was, you know, a a a, a sort of, I don't know, path you might have wanted to follow to lean into this darker territory. Or did you envision it as a, like a romantic comedy from the start? I always saw this book as a romantic comedy. So, I mean, romance is kind of my first and truest love. You know, I've been reading it forever. I just love romance and Pretty much even when I read stuff, you know, I always gravitate toward, if not romance, you know, explicitly romance, then at least like stories that have some kind of love, um, you know, relationship component to them for sure. So I always knew that this was going to be a romance. I think the only um, thing that I had kind of thought of at one point, and honestly, I, I don't, I think one of the reasons I didn't write the book at this point was because I just knew it wasn't right this way and I had to figure out a different way to do it. For a little while, I thought about making Sam more. I guess like serial killery, uh, just seeming like I thought about making him more brooding, you know, darker, more, um, I don't know, just all, all these, like almost like your typical, like alpha guy, romance hero character, um, almost like a, not, not a mafia romance. I wouldn't go that, that far, but that kind of vibe where it's like, okay, maybe he, maybe he actually is into some seedy shit. And then I think, um, one thing that kind of unlocked the book for me was when I realized actually it's, I think it's, better if sam is he's so harmless he's like so innocuous it's only he's like the right right and i i think that for me that's where a lot of the like comedy comes from is it's like she's just reading so much into the most benign things um and and for me i just thought that it was funnier that way and also i mean a big uh i guess challenge i had with this book is you need to kind of see where she's coming from and at least like somewhat if not think he's a serial killer then at least like kind of get a little bit of like that mysterious what's up with this guy kind of vibe. But then I kind of needed to drop it after a while because at some point it is a romance and I do want you to want them to be together. And I want you to think that, you know, he's worthy of being with her and that she can trust him. And, and so that was definitely like one kind of challenge I had is how far to take the serial killer thing, but then also when to drop it so that, you know, so that you're not having, this woman who's starting a relationship with a guy that she actually does maybe think is a serial killer, which <laughs> starts to become a different story. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I will confess that I am not very well versed or read in romance or romantic comedy. So some parts of that story, like I was really having trouble, like following So I was like, Oh, they actually are going to kind of end up together, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause yeah, I kept kind of expecting it to take some kind of, you know, bizarre turn like that. But yeah, it's like, you're saying he really is this very nice you know, unassuming guy that, you know, yeah. who, whose only sinister attributes are in the mind of the narrator, basically. So, uh, right. I mean, the most sinister thing about him is he's kind of a nerd, you know, I mean, that's pretty much the only discovery she really actually makes about him. No. And, and the thing is, what, what's strange is that I actually feel like I've known people like Phoebe in my life who have, you know, those sorts of, and that is, as we sort of discussed, you know, I think all of us have had those sorts of, paranoiac, you know, kind of feelings at some point, even fleetingly, you know, based on the way in which crime is reported, you know, mediated and, and, and um, remembered and, and 
excavated even when you see these like documentaries about Ted Bundy and, you know, people I haven't thought about in decades, <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so I, I um, you know, keeping striking that sort of balance. That's, I, I think, for me anyway, what made this this novel kind of, a, you know, a really interesting read. I will, I'll ask you this, this sort of generally with the, with the setting, with, you know, having it set in Florida and during summer when it's basically at its worst, when no one mm-hmm. wants to be here, you know, and I said, did it seem suited to the story that you wanted to tell though, in a way, like just with this, you know, the really oppressive heat and everything. And then just, you know, all the aspects of the the setting at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, for one thing, you know, I'm from Florida. I've lived here since I was eight years old. And so, I mean, Florida was just a very natural setting for that reason. And then also, um, yeah, I think Florida, it does have a reputation, both earned and unearned as being such a weird state, you know, just a state where like, you know, serial killers abound. I mean, Ted Bundy had his own run here in, uh, in Florida, as well as the, you know, the UF killer as well. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's just, there's a lot of, you know, even I was sitting around a bonfire the other day with a bunch of friends, they were telling me about a local serial killer from one of their neighborhoods. So, I mean, it just has that reputation of, you know, being a weird, dark kind of place. Um, and then, like you said, like, it is like the absolute worst, you know, muggiest, hottest, most brutal time of year, which I think, you know, for Phoebe, it's like, she doesn't, at least at the start of the book, she doesn't even really want to be there you mm-hmm. know like she she's coming because she has to clean out her dad's house and she has to help her brother um you know but she's not she, she's not super psyched you know she's not going to florida for spring break or something like that um <laughs> and so i thought that was also part of the vibe you know is at least at first she's kind of like i don't even want to be here i don't even like this place uh which i think is you know a feeling that a lot of floridians i think are used to hearing other people express in particular <laughs> if uh if not ourselves sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say, believe me, I've, I've I've gone through those phases. These summers really demoralize you, as I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, another part of this that I found, I, and I don't know if this is just, you know, something I've overlooked or I can't recall or whatever, but the author's note that you included at the beginning really uh, struck me. And you, I, I remember at the reading of yours I attended, you um you kind of invoked it a little bit before you started uh, reading the first chapter. You said the story contains some themes of grief, memories of a neglected, emotionally abusive childhood and past suicidal ideation. While there are many true crime references throughout, there is no on the page violence or active killing in this book. And and again, maybe this is naivete or just a lack of uh, breadth of reading, but I don't think I've ever seen an uh, like anything like this from an author, like a note, like the author hmm. putting a note in that. So I was, I was kind of curious what your intent in including that was. Was it just to, I don't know, function as a way of foregrounding the type of story it was or I, I. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's basically, I guess you would call them trigger warnings or content warnings mm-hmm. is, is essentially how I was thinking of them. Um, because, you know, I think especially with romance, I think one thing you have to be um, kind of careful about is that a lot of people go to romance to escape and to relax and to have a happy, you know, story that ends in a, you know, satisfying, um, happily ever after. And I mean, all the things that get charged against romance, that it's predictable or that it's cheesy or that it's, I mean, that's kind of the promise of the premise in a way. Like you want a story <laughs> that's predictable. You want a story that is a little cheesy. And so I think for me, I think that you have to be kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is for it, but like gentle, I guess, with readers to let them know if there's something in the book that might disrupt that experience. So, 
like just as an example, I know I've read, you know, author's notes or content warnings or, or things like that for other um, authors where if the character deals with their body image a lot, for example, then they might say, you know, there's oh. some like fat phobia in here. Or if the character deals with, um, you know, some pushback from their family because they're gay, they might say there's some, you know, homophobia in here or something. Just because, again, to me, it's like, you know, for most people, maybe you're reading it and it's all just part of the story and it doesn't you know, take you out of it. But, you know, you never know if there's that mm. one person who's reading it and is trying to just lose themselves in this like nice, you know, happy romance. And then all of a sudden they get hit with this kind of heavy topic that they weren't expecting. Um, and especially in romance, I think one thing that I've heard a lot lately is that a lot of rom-coms in particular, you know, they're, they're billed as rom-coms and then there's like the parent died. And, you know, you're just a little bit like, how the fuck is this funny? Like, this isn't funny. Um, and so for me, I like to think of my book as a rom-com. I like to think of it as being funny. But at the same time, I am cognizant of the fact that there is some heavier, you know, stuff in there. And I just want, I guess, readers to be aware of that before they, they go in. No, I liked how you did a real, like, uh, kind of a miniaturized genre history or analysis there. Like, talking about the expectations that readers or audiences might have and how... Like you're saying, you know, it had like how it functions for them, like the predictability that was uh, really or, or like, you know, maybe the assumed like the familiar beats that you would see in, in stories like that. And yeah, and as I said, I'm not widely read at all in that genre. So like all of this was kind of new to me. And I guess I I found your novel pretty heavy to me for a romantic comedy, but I'm basing that on my very superficial knowledge of uh you know, like Hallmark Christmas movies and things like that. So, uh, yeah, well, and I, and I, and I think it is, but again, like, yeah, I think it is in a way. Cause yeah, it does deal with all those things that I list, you know, in there and, and more stuff too, that I probably just like couldn't list. I, I mean, I just couldn't list every single thing. Um, but there's a lot of just various references and, you know, little stories and little bits of characterization stuff that, you know, I think are a little bit heavier, um, and yeah, I just, I think it's good sometimes to kind of prepare readers for some of those things just so that they kind of know what they're getting into. No, that that's interesting. Cause I, I never, it's, I guess what I should say is I'm used to like outside agencies or editors or people putting that in there, but not the, you know, it was really interesting that you did that yourself though, you know, that including that author's note, that was, uh, mm -hmm. no, that, that was really neat. Um, <clears throat> And I, it's funny, Minta, because it's like the whole uh, part with the uh, the Sunrise Killer as uh, someone uh, who, I, who I had to look up. I did not know whether that was a real uh, <laughs> killer or not. So uh, it's fictional. But but it's, uh, you know, someone who like Phoebe and her brother take this trip to uh, the house where where mm -hmm. the guy lived. I don't think any of the actual killings that he was prepared to have done occurred there. But I thought that, yeah, like that seemed to me, again, in my knowledge of it, like just very somber and dark for like a, a romance or anything. So it was like, you know, I, I don't know if this is again, something that you deliberately wanted to do to like give some, you know, depth to the story beyond that, but not, but as you said, you know, kind of keep it a little more abstract, you know, with um, in terms of Phoebe's just interests academically. And of course, you know, her own odd preoccupations, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely did. I can't take credit for thinking of this beforehand. So I have to admit that like, I don't think when I was planning the book, I didn't think of this, or I wasn't being this like clever about it, I guess. But in retrospect, um, I, I feel like I can see certain things about that decision to, you know, have them actually go to the house. And one thing I think is a big theme at the end of the book is that, you know, Phoebe has to drop a lot of the stories that she's told herself about mm -hmm. her life for her entire life. 
And so, for example, one big thing is she's always had this, you know, feeling about her dad. She has this very um, kind of rocky relationship with her father. And then obviously now that he's, you know, died, she kind of has no resolution to that relationship. And one of the ways that I tried to give her some resolution in the book is by Connor, you know, her brother basically pointing out to her, like, he was just a guy. He was just a dude. He was kind of a sad dude, if you actually look at it. Like, he wasn't as sinister as maybe you think in your head because you had all these, you know, bad interactions with him. Um, and so similarly, the house, I think the, the Sunrise Slayer's house kind of serves a similar purpose where it's like, you know, she's been researching all these serial killers and she's been, you know, reading all the books and reading about all their crimes and reading about, you know, kind of the height of, of, you know, when they were active and when they were, um, you know, being, uh, you know, killing people and just being written about and stuff. And then, when she goes to this house, it's just a sad, empty, abandoned house. Like there's nothing really there, you know? And like you said, it's not even where he did any, you know, killing. So it's, um, I don't know. I think those two things kind of marry together in my mind. Yeah. But as a domestic setting, like you're saying, because of her relationship with her father, maybe it takes on, because she was, um, researching, I think her had wanted to read the memoir that the daughter wrote, I believe the, mm -hmm. the killer's daughter. And then, you know, trying to find some, uh, you know, common ground with her here. And I think that's when Connor is saying, you know, he wasn't this kind of guy. It was, you know, as you said, like a sad dude, I think. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that came from, so the Sunrise Slayer is a fictional killer that I just made up for the book. Yeah. But, I feel um, like I looked it up. I was like, no, 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 actually I, I, no, I consider that the highest compliment. My sister actually sent me a screenshot of her Googling Sunrise Slayer and she was like, Oh, you got me with this one. And so uh, <laughs> I, I took that as a big compliment, but um the memoir that the daughter wrote, I kind of based off of, I had just read uh, the BTK's daughter's memoir oh. and I found it, uh, I found it very dark and very interesting. And the main thing I found interesting about it was all the ways that he just kind of would remind you of your dad. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just, he was just a dad, like, and all the things, even the things that when you look back and you know, he was BTK are very sinister at the time, they just seemed like more dad shit, you know, like, don't go into the closet because I've got stuff in there and I don't want you to mess with it. Or, you know, I'm on this camping trip and we're having a great time, but then all of a sudden I'm really moody and I'm really upset. And, you know, so again, like when you know he's BTK and you look back on it, you right, know, it has whole, a significance. The whole, right. It's yeah, a whole yeah. thing seems so sinister, but also, you know, I mean, maybe it's just me, but as I'm, you know, reading it, I'm like, these stories could just be my dad, you know? <laughs> um, and so I thought that uh, that was, you know, part of the like parallel with Phoebe and, and the whole, you know, Sunrise Slayer daughter's memoir as well. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the darkness that it just seems so mundane, you know, and, and yeah. except in hindsight. Yeah. Like, oh, and okay. This is something I have to ask you too, is like, could you see a movie adaptation of this or is that something you've ever thought of and maybe who would direct or star in it as Sam or Phoebe or Connor? Because I don't know, it seemed very cinematic to me in that way, like it's, you know, plot wise and, and everything like that. Yeah, I always um, I really enjoy this question because I think that uh, oh, a movie so other be... people have asked you that. <laughs> well, well, no, well, I'm, I'm, I'm about to disappoint you with my answer, though, because okay. what I'm what I'm saying is I, I love the thought of it, but I myself feel very I just feel very ignorant, frankly, of like who even the current stars that would be the right age and would be the, you know, so mm -hmm. I feel like all of my references, like I could cast this movie from like the nineties, but I don't know that I could cast it. Yeah. From, like, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> currently active. 
One thing I will say is that um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Penelope with uh, Christina Ricci and James McAvoy, but I was watching that. I I watched that movie a lot around when I was writing this book. And so in my head, Sam and Phoebe are very, they're, they're not exactly James McAvoy and Christina Ricci, but they're very similar to that vibe from that movie. Um, And so, you know, that, that casting would not work now, but uh but, you know, in my head, that's kind of like almost how I was picturing it. Yeah, I'm picturing Sam with a heavy Scottish accent now, though, like <laughs> <laughs> like James McAvoy. Well, he All does right. a very convincing American accent. Uh, yeah, I know. Movie, I know so. actors are usually able to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's like, and I even I even was thinking like, you know, what channel or platform would it be appropriate for? I was like, oh, this is too explicit for Lifetime or Hallmark. You know, this would have to be, H- this is like an HBO level uh, romantic yeah. comedy, I'd say. <laughs> I think it, it would actually be, I mean, I almost don't want it to happen ever but um it would be very interesting to see the like sanitized like lifetime version of it though because you know how they do that you know how they do that sometimes with with books where like all of a sudden you watch the movie and you think like this is such tripe and then you read the book and you're like wow actually like there was a lot more to this and (laughs) the movie just like cut it all out yes but i've had that experience many times (laughs) yeah so i don't know it'd be kind of cool maybe to see the uh the cut out like version of this yeah, the, nice. The, the, like the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Film. Okay, so what is next for Alicia Thompson? Uh, what do you have in the works now? What's uh, coming down the road? What do you have going on? Uh, I have another book coming out um, in oh, August hello. of 2023. Uh, it's called With Love from Cold World. And it is a, another romance, but it is um, completely separate from Love in the Time of Serial Killers. Like it doesn't have any parallel, you know, characters or anything like that. Uh, and it's basically about two people who work at this like fake winter attraction um, in Orlando and then obviously fall in love. And it's kind of a Christmas book, which uh, I just I really like holiday themed stuff. We're in that season right now. So I was happy to write it. <laughs> yeah, I, that sounds so wait, August of 2023. Yes. Not timed for a holiday release. But hey, you know what? People have plenty of time to <laughs> read it up until then. And and we have plenty of like in 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 uh, the central Florida area. I know there is one place north of here that uh, there is a some kind of winter attraction that. Uh, yeah, that's actually this. partially what I base it off of. I just went there this past weekend, and oh, I was you did. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Was was it convincing? I've only seen billboards for it. So I mean, honestly, it was as convincing as this practically native Floridian could possibly want. You know what I mean? Like I I, I don't even know that I would know what the real thing would look like. So. Um, it was real snow. It is in like a little igloo thing. And that you know, it was good enough for me. I didn't have okay. to shovel it. So, <laughs> well, well <laughs> great point. We will, uh, well, we'll have to wait until the book comes out to see what other, uh, things are happening in the imagined version of the, uh, winter park. So Alicia Thompson, you are now a member of the Florida book club. Thank you. Thank you for attending this meeting of the Florida Book Club. There are links on our website to purchase Love in the Time of Serial Killers, which you shouldn't expect to see coming to a theater or small screen near you anytime soon, if at all. If you're interested in contemporary romance, though, Alicia recommends Kate Claiborne, Christina Lauren, Rachel Lynn Solomon, Talia Hibbert, Helen Huang, Anita Kelly, Alexis Hall, and Emily Henry. And that was just off the top of her head. Remember to support your local independent bookstores and public libraries. And on a related note, if you're in-state, dedicate yourself to resisting the anti-educational and anti-learning agenda of Florida's so-called leaders. 
Get out there and read the bluest eye. Say gay, loudly and confidently. See you at our next meeting.